0: I think Jake was just processing something that he had seen and he forgot where it was. So I, don't it, I couldn't tell if it was a toy or a TV show, but he was a little confused because he was like, I remember it, but I can't remember where it was. So, Okay, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to be in if, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, you can kind of move towards Hebrews 10. That's kind of towards the back half of the New Testament, so almost near the end of the Bible. A few things before we get there, though. Um, As we're in Ephesians 5 and kind of right in the middle of talking about different views of Christian marriage and what does it mean to have a Christian marriage, to cultivate one, I want to commend to you a series that's uh, running concurrently right now with ours through a church back in Ontario called the Meeting House. And it's a, it's a series called Her Story, which is looking at Jesus, women, in the church. And uh, it's an excellent, excellent, in-depth exploration, not just in sermons, but they also have extended what they call after-party podcasts that are an hour to two hours long where they're talking with scholars and different uh, leaders within the church around an egalitarian interpretation of scripture, which is the view that men and women are equal before God and that uh, there aren't necessarily required gender roles within marriage and that within the church, leadership within the church should be uh, shared between men and women. And I really want to commend this series to you um, because it is a very, very thorough and biblical and good exploration of the egalitarian position, which is the position of the covenant church. And so we're not going to be able to, and I'm choosing not to go in-depth And kind of drilling down and out into this view as much as one could. But if you're in a uh, stage or have the interest to say, I'd really like to know more about that, but I'm not really sure where to get started, at least with the egalitarian view, start with this series at the Meeting House. It is very, very well done. It's still ongoing. I don't know how long it's going to be, but it is excellent. And to that end, I also want to encourage you to read and study through some of the resources that I've highlighted in the summit newsletter that goes out on Friday, around the complementarian and egalitarian positions. Um, This is a really important issue that has a lot of ramifications for church life and our life together. And so it is an area that I would say, maybe more than some, really compels us to do our homework. And when I say do your homework, what I mean is you know you've done your homework, you know your homework is complete, when you have arrived at whatever position you land on through really careful study of Scripture and reflection of the arguments on both sides, and you can steel man the other view. Has anyone heard the term steel man before? Has anyone heard the term straw man before? Straw man an argument? Right, man an argument is when you're essentially saying here's my view and then I straw man the other view I basically create the worst caricature of the other side and say well that's why I don't believe that right and doing your homework with this or in many other areas of theological differences my view is that you should get to know the other side well enough that you can present it in the best light you might still say here's this view here's where it comes from and here are all the kind of the interpretational hermeneutical steps that, that, that they um, follow to get to this conclusion. I don't agree necessarily with the conclusion because there are some of these steps that I take a bit of a left when they go right, but um, this is that view, and that's steel manning, where instead of comparing the best of your view with the worst of the other view, you can compare best to best and still say, I I would respect those who fall along these lines because I understand I really have kind of walked a mile in those shoes but out of conviction and conscience this is where I land. And so it's really important I think in this area especially to know both sides so that we aren't falling into the trap of, let's say stereotypically saying well the only reason why you'd be a complementarian is because you're kind of a closeted misogynist and you hate women you want to kind of oppress women Or the only reason why you're an egalitarian is because you are um, a kind of raging third, fourth wave intersectional feminist. You've kind of taken up that cause and you're just attempting to overthrow everything within the church and you've kind of left the Bible aside. So that would be an example of strawmanning both views. And so series like Her Story or some of the articles that I've highlighted in Summit are a, a really good way to make sure that you are getting good arguments on both sides so that wherever you land, it actually is a scripturally informed, very thoughtful, rigorous evaluation of all of the facts and movements to arrive at your position. Okay, so this is the first Sunday of the month, and what I like to do is share my own journey of discipleship as it relates to growing in my relationship with God across four broad dimensions, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Relationships, prayer, interiority, growing in my understanding of the Bible, Christian worldview, and serving. And I do this, and I want to emphasize this, I don't broadcast this to boast. I don't think there's anything particularly boast-worthy in any of the things that I set out to do. Um, But rather, I want to highlight and emphasize and model by example that following Jesus is a holistic practice that has to reshape every corner of our lives and sometimes when we say that or when Christians hear that they either shut down because it's too too overwhelming or they don't have handles on which to kind of say I'm not sure what that looks like like I'm in junior high and like following Jesus for my whole life does that mean I just like pray all the time and drop out of school and just pray and read my Bible like I don't really get it we want to bring it down to a very accessible level. And so I just say what that means is every month create a goal, an area of focus for yourself as it relates to strengthening relationships, deepening your prayer life or trying new things in your prayer life, reading something new in the Bible or taking, uh, doing a word study on something or just challenging yourself to maybe read the Bible three or four times a week devotionally or if you're there trying to do it every day, whatever it is. And how, how are you being called to serve this month? To give to sacrifice in a way that blesses someone else at a sacrifice to yourself. And it's through these practices that we learn to train ourselves into godliness. And I also do it to remind us that ultimately, the responsibility for spiritual growth and maturity lands right in ourselves. We need each other to grow in Christ. I'm gonna be talking about that this morning. But you can be surrounded by people who are on fire for Jesus and pursuing Jesus sincerely and deeply in different avenues in their life. But if the posture of your heart is like, meh, I'm just going to kind of ride on their coattails and kind of fake it to make it and go through the motions. One month later, one year later, one decade later, we shouldn't be surprised if we find ourselves feeling kind of spiritually hollowed out. Discipleship is about getting real with God and in a very personal way saying, God, how are you challenging me to follow you today, this week, this month? I do, a, I do a month out because this year seems too big. This week in my stage of life, weeks are like days to me. And so month is a good sort of chunk of time that I can allow God to bring certain emphases or themes to the forefront. So for me, what I'm focusing on this month is practicing encouragement. The older I get, the more I realize how underappreciated encouragement is and how little I do of it. I often think and I'm thankful for people in my prayer life, but I need to tell them in person. I need to look them in the eye and to send a note. Number two soul is counseling. I had a number of things come up this week that stirred up a lot of dust. Went to two counseling sessions. It was really awkward and difficult to make that call. Did it. Received a lot of uh, yeah, great counsel and that was a good move for me to do and I've scheduled a few more this month as a way to just allow someone who can give me a third-party perspective get me out of the cycle that I'm in in particular areas of thinking or um, interacting with people and really uh, just help me to have a fresh perspective and to uh, invite God into that process. In the area of mind, I've got another paper to write for my mission and ministry course after I wrote my first one. I've got uh, two more and that's gonna be something that's gonna be allowing, well, hopefully, hopefully, helping me to sharpen my thoughts around certain issues of justice. And strength, uh, I really felt um, I've been noticing, and God's been putting in my life more and more, people who are, I would say, spiritually sensitive, not Christian, very open and saying, I'm not a believer. I think what happens in a church is whack, but you you do you, Jeff. Um, And I, I love these people, and I'm just slowly realizing that God is giving me favor in the relationship, at least to the extent of building trust, and so really what I'm doing this month is saying, God, if there's an opportunity to serve that person, even if it's in secret, even if they're never going to know it's me, but can you just show me ways that I can tangibly help um, these people who you've brought into my life, and so there's just kind of this burden that I have to you know the, the old language would have been, would have been "reach out," but they, I don't think they see it as that. It's just, "I want to bless them. I want to serve them in some way, and so I'm just praying for opportunities to do that this month. Okay, so I want to start with a question this morning. Simple one: What are we doing here? What are we doing here? And I don't mean that in the grand sense of what are we doing here in life and existence. I mean, like, actually in this building. Here we are, in these seats, gathered together. What are we doing here? And maybe to put a finer point on it, why are Sundays important? Are they important? Two generations ago, if you were part of a Christian community, it would have been established very quickly that Sunday morning worship was a non-negotiable. That is just something you did. So unless you were sick or out of town, the expectation was that you were in the pews on Sunday morning. Now, fast forward one generation and, uh, yeah, maybe about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, there was a revolution against this way of thinking. And... The train of thought went like this Christianity isn't about the church building. It's not about gathering on a Sunday morning. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God, which holds ramifications for all of life, Monday through Sunday. The kingdom of God and God's activity isn't localized to a particular place and time on Sunday morning. We're called to follow Jesus daily, and God is at work in our lives daily. And this new appreciation for the daily requirements of discipleship kind of softened a commitment to Sunday mornings, but sort of ramped up a commitment to following Jesus 24-7 and beginning to really grapple with what does that look like? And so by the time I became a Christian at 14 in my neck of the woods, Ontario, it was 19, oh, when did I become a Christian? Was that 1978? No, Josh, I'm not, I'm one year older than that. I became a Christian in 1991. I think that's the right math. By the time I became a Christian, at least, again, in the circles that I swam in when I first got plugged in the church, Sunday church attendance was seen as one of many viable options through which you could engage your faith and build your faith and encourage your faith. But there was a kind of a soft or um, hmm, a bit of a subtext, I would say, that there was nothing really distinctive or especially important about Sunday mornings. We were trying to get away from this legalistic idea that it's all about Sunday, the way you measure your church health And your individual health is how much you're plugging into Sunday or Sunday and midweek programming or two services on Sunday and midweek. But the view that people were trying to push away from was this very uh, hardened, mechanical, rigid, impersonal, one-size-fits-all understanding that spiritual health could be correlated with church attendance and involvement. Some of the Christians that I knew spoke really boldly. and They'd say things like, you know what? Sunday's great, but the golf course is my sanctuary. I can experience God in powerful ways, right? Like creation is my cathedral. And this was a way of attempting to emphasize this kingdom mentality. And there was a good element to it. It was this idea that Christianity doesn't ultimately boil down to Sunday morning and church attendance and that God can be experienced and faith can and ought to be engaged in and through every part of life, and maybe especially outside the walls of the church, where people had grown up in a culture where there was such an emphasis on getting the church, being at church, doing the church thing, but then once you kind of left the church, there was this huge break in terms of posture, behavior, consciousness, in terms of following Jesus through the rest of the week. And to that emphasis that said, no, Jesus and Christianity are about all of life, everyone should say amen. The kingdom emphasis that emerged in the late 80s and 90s and continues today was a really good corrective to a church culture that strayed from a biblical vision that was simply, well, and again, obviously I'm speaking in broad generalities here, but was really fixated on kind of bums in the seats and money in the coffers, and participation within sanctioned church programs. But through this corrective, I think many Christians were tempted into thinking that intentionally gathering together with other Christians to pray, to worship together, to come under authoritative teaching of the word of God sort of became an accessory to the Christian life. You kind of view it as an accessory, totally like one of many things, but not necessarily, again, something central or distinctive. And in fact, for some, any kind of corporate worship gathering became sidelined altogether. And the emphasis became the Kingdom of God movement is about me connecting to Jesus and God's will for my life, and it's kind of me and Jesus going through life and you almost got cut off from um, would it be too strong even to say the duty and importance of connecting with other Christians in a shared worship space. How does the Bible frame gatherings like this like what we're doing? Intentionally taking time to come together as a large group and there's an investment of time, energy, and money put into this space, that really is an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes long, a little bit longer on potluck Sundays, I, I guess. But there's a tremendous investment in this time and space. How are we to think about it? Who's right? The old school Christian subculture that said Sundays all it's all about Sundays. This is super important. You just show up to church and plug into a church and a program, and God will take care of the rest. Or is it more the kingdom emphasis that said, it's not about the building. It's about following Jesus faithfully in everyday life. I was thinking about these questions with, um, in the context of a conversation that I had with Matt Pamplin. Matt is the pastor who I formerly co-pastored with in Hamilton before coming here. I connected with him over Skype this week. And we were processing the importance of Sunday morning and how to talk about Sunday mornings and our own journeys of thinking about and engaging Sunday mornings this week. And one of the texts that we fell upon and discussed was Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. And so I thought it would be good to kind of pause our series on Ephesians just for one Sunday and share some of the reflections that emerged from, our, from my time with Matt. Um, I found our conversation was a deep, deep encouragement to me and I really hope it will be for you. Uh, what I'm about to share uh, is, pro- well, most of, the, most of the really insightful stuff is Matt, and then the rest of it, I, I kind of fill in the, the thing. So if this moves you or helps you bring clarity or encouragement to certain areas that you've been thinking through, I can give you Matt's email, and you can say thanks. So let's read the section that we were discussing. discussing Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Why are Sunday mornings important? Or at least for us, because that's the time that we've set aside, Sundays at 10 a.m. Why are they important? Four things that jumped out to us, to Matt and I, out of this text. The first is that Sunday mornings are important because in gathering together on Sunday morning, we are practicing a new and living way, and we're doing it together. Hebrews 10.19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, what Jesus has done through his life and death and resurrection and ascension is opened up a new way. Not just to be saved so that our eternal destiny is secured, for sure, but a new way in a, in a totalizing sense, a new way to live a new way to enter into Monday, Tuesday, to enter into retirement, to enter into uh, newly married, to enter into junior high, to enter into life as an athlete, to enter into my vocation as um, a financial advisor. Because of what Jesus has done, a new and living way has been opened to us. But like a team that has to unlearn bad habits and learn new ones that are commensurate with new goals and new ambitions and new aspirations, we have to do these things together. We have to learn together. Do you ever wonder why hockey teams practice together? Like, why not just practice on your own? Why not just, you've got an app, here are the drills you need to do at some point, go to the ring and do it. Because doing something on your own is not the same as doing it in the context and with other people. It doesn't make one necessarily better or worse than the other, although there is a phenomenon sociologically called social facilitation, which is the phenomenon whereby when you are doing things in the presence of other people, you will do them with greater intentionality and you'll work harder because there's at least a soft Um, uh, attunement to the fact that there's some accountability here. I can't just like stop what I'm doing because there's other people around and maybe it's just even embarrassment like I'm not going to stop. I experienced this at the gym very early on when I started at the gym. I would say for the first six or eight months at the gym, three times a week, 10 minutes into the workout of a 40-minute workout, let's say, Mentally, the only thing that was going through my head is, I don't think I can do this. I want to stop. This is really uncomfortable. And often, what helped me get out of that space was just kind of looking left and right. And in the early days, I worked out with two awesome, strong, 53- and 55-year-old women who were beside me on the rower, slugging weights around, not complaining. And seeing them gave me a little bit of a sense of like, oh, okay, I got to push through this. I got to power through this. I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. That's social facilitation. And then what happens when you do that together is that you actually adopt a new internal liturgy. How many people are familiar with the term liturgy? You might not be able to define it, but you've heard it, liturgy. It's a kind of an old school church word and it refers to an order of service, a way that you do something. So we have a liturgy in our church. I send that out to the worship leaders and it changes somewhat, but it's, it's, it's more or less the same, right? Call to worship, four songs, announcements offering, offering song, right? Goes through it. That's the order of service. And what we're doing when we're doing that together is we're learning a new liturgy, a new pattern, a new approach Yes, to worshiping together, but also, and I liked what Matt said, he said what he tells his church is that what we're doing on Sunday publicly, we want you to practice privately in your life. So we don't save worshiping God through song to just on a Sunday. We do it on Sunday to remind us, oh, this is something I should be doing throughout the week at different points. We don't just leave our Bibles closed through the week, and then open up the Bible and learn from God on Sunday. We learn on Sunday so that we're reminded through the week, oh, yeah, this is something I need to be doing. See, in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Covenant, New Covenant. Old liturgy, old way of structuring your life based on what God has done. Now there's a new way of structuring your life around what God has done. And you have that in your own life. You had an old liturgy, an old way that you just moved through life before you came to know Christ. And now that you know Christ, you're learning a new liturgy, right? You're now on Team Jesus. And there are some things that you can take from your old life and say, hey, that actually fits really well with the new liturgy, the new pattern, the new thing that we're doing. But there are some things that need to fall away. And there are new things that you need to take up. And what we're doing on Sunday morning is entering into a liturgy and learning together, as Romans 12 says, to offer our bodies together as living sacrifices, which is our true act of worship. Sunday is meant to be, well, there's a reason why in the Christian calendar, Sunday is the first day of the week. It's not the last. Right? We, don't, we tend to think of it as the last day of the weekend and then the week starts on Monday. But that's not how the calendar is actually structured. Sunday is the first day of the week. So we gather on the first day of the week early on to set the tone for the rest of the week. We come together to say the new liturgy of our lives is before anything else. We get together and we worship God together first. We don't save worshiping God to like the very end where God gets our crumbs. We start the week with God together so that we continue the week with God and ideally early on in our day, come come before him as individuals, as couples, and as families. And so we practice in public what we want to see practiced in private. And it's important to be in this space, to learn this liturgy, to get it into your bones because out there all kinds of liturgies, um, orders of how you should structure your day, what you should structure your day around, what you should be structuring your day towards will tempt you to sideline God I mean there's definitely some very obviously anti-Christian liturgies that are out there here's how you live with uh, reckless uh, disobedience and rebellion against God but there's a more pernicious way of life liturgy that's on offer in our culture and that is just live life with no reference to God We watch movies, we watch TV shows, we listen to music that talk about maybe even good things. Maybe they're not bad or destructive or exploitive uh, entertainment mediums or whatever. But you probably won't watch many movies where people are processing what they're going through in light of their relationship with God. And so what we're being subtly reinforced with is it's normal to just go through your life and not give God and faith a second thought. It's just sort of like, you just rely on people around you. You just rely on yourself. You just rely on a therapist or on these books. You don't need God. It's just, it's a very, it's a subtle, but it's a very, um, it's a very seductive message. And so coming here on Sunday and being reminded after being steeped in some cases in a counter culture a whole week of saying just, I mean you can believe in God but believe God in like that sense of like I believe God and it's kind of way out there in the distance now you just live life on your terms. No, God's supposed to be at the center of what we do. That's important. And That's important to be reminded and reminding each other about that. Like the stakes are high here. This is really important. Jesus said, when two or three of you gather in my name, I'm there with them. There's a power that happens when we gather together and when we're reinforced and uh, reminded of this truth that we're supposed to structure our everyday lives. Yes, not just Sunday morning, every day with God and his agenda put first. Number two, because we're drawing near to God together. 20, verse twenty-two: Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that brings uh, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now again, can you draw near to God on your own Wednesday afternoon? Of course. Can you do it Friday early in the morning before you head off to work? Of course you can, and you should. We should be drawing near to God consistently, taking time out, maybe little bits of our day and saying, pulling God, drawing near to God through prayer and opening scripture, reflecting on things. Awesome. But Hebrews is written to a group of Christians. And so this isn't a command. This isn't a command that is meant to be understood as You, Jeff, and you, Carrie, and you, Marvin, all of you go out and draw near to God during your week. It's, again, start your week by drawing near to God together, you all, all of us. Walter Bruegelman, uh, who's a really brilliant, very dense, not easy to read, but very brilliant Old Testament scholar, says that you can categorize every single psalm in the Bible Based on three fundamental stages of the soul orientation, disorientation, or reorientation. Orientation everything is great, my relationship with God was great, my relationship with people is great, life is firing on all cylinders. Praise God. And there are Psalms that celebrate that. Disorientation enemies surround me, I feel like you're so far away from me, God. Uh, I feel like the cords of death are ensnaring me. I want to give up. I don't see any hope. My prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. My life is falling apart. And then reorientation, coming out of that space. I was in this space, God, but you lifted me up out of the mire. And now you've rescued me from this place of disorientation and chaos. And now you've put my feet on solid ground. You're my rock. You are my redeemer. on any given day, you probably move through that, those phases. Things are going well. Things are in chaos. Okay, things are starting to settle again. And in a given week, month, year, stages of your life, right? How many of us can recognize stages of our life where this, we had a, I had a good run right in this window of my life and here was a window where It wasn't all bad, but these were tough years to move through. Tough years for my faith, my relationship with God, with my spouse, with my kids, whatever it was. And some of us can testify to the fact that God has brought us from those spaces or is bringing us from a place of chaos and darkness. And God does that individually. God does that in the lives of couples. And he does that in the lives of communities. And part of what Sunday morning is is, is a recognition that to come together and worship God together is important for all of us to be doing that regardless of the stage that you find yourself in. If you are properly orientated and feel like things are great, Sunday morning is important for you. If you're in a place where you are disoriented and you feel like your life is falling apart, Sunday morning is important for you, but maybe probably for most of us in different areas of our life where we feel God's correction and leading and guidance, Sunday morning's really important because it reorientates us to what is most important and to the first things in our lives. It recalibrates us. It recenters us. We get interrupted and distracted throughout our weeks and throughout our months, and Sundays are a chance to come together and in the context of worship and the Word, kind of be held in a space that helps us to clear the rubble and the debris away and say, oh yeah, it is about God and his kingdom. And that doesn't mean that Sunday fixes everything. Of course it doesn't. But this is a space through which as we draw near to God together, God helps to kind of recalibrate our souls, redirect us, put us back on the path I often find myself heading into Sunday morning in a state of kind of disorientation, maybe not in a kind of capital D disorientation way, but just from the flux and flow of a ministry week. And I leave Sundays often feeling tired, but I feel reoriented, recalibrated to what matters. And I feel like, yes, I need to keep following Jesus in this area. Or God lays something on my heart as I'm preaching or as I'm singing or as I'm, reflecting on what God was doing on Sunday morning in the afternoon. But as we draw near to God together, that has power. And it helps us navigate. It provides an anchor point for us as we move through these different spheres of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Number three, Sunday mornings are really important because we learn to encourage each other together. Encouragement is the word encourage In Latin, it literally means to place strength or courage into something. So encouragement isn't just like, hey, good to see ya, bud, fist pump. And that can be pretty low level. Encouragement, though, is the practice of looking someone in the eye and saying, I value you, you're important to me, you've got this, you can do this, God is with you, let me hear about what you're going through. Uh, I respect you, I see these things in you. It's putting courage and strength into one another, Can you do that over email? Yep. Can you do it over text? Yep. But the scripture talks about that there's a different power and there's a different um, density and weight to what we're doing when it's done face to face. This is why it's such a big deal that when Moses interfaces with God on the mountain, he said to do it face to face. God doesn't just send like a divine text message to Moses, he gets up close and personal. And connecting face to face and encouraging people face to face is important. Does that mean you can't do that outside of Sunday? No. But look how many people are here on Sunday. Like, look at how many people. If you took five minutes and just spoke to three or four people, you could probably encourage more people here on a Sunday morning just because of the practicality of everyone gathering here than you could if you were to try and hunt people down during the week. So, this is an awesome opportunity to encourage one another. And we can think that people don't need encouragement. I was talking with Matt about this yesterday. But man, an encouraging word, a gesture, a note, a conversation to say, hey, let's get together for coffee this week. That can mean a huge amount to people. It can buoy the spirit for weeks. It's really important. And Sunday worship gatherings are an important context to offer encouragement to others. And sometimes the encouragement is just your presence I I say this, I want to say this strongly but graciously because I'm speaking to myself as I would have responded at 25. But I don't really get a lot out of Sunday morning. So Sunday isn't like a huge encouragement to me. Maybe, Maybe a lot of people don't even talk to me. So like, I don't know, like, I'm not against coming on Sunday. I just don't really get a lot out of it. But what I would say to myself now is, Jeff, sometimes just the fact that you're there will encourage someone else. Even if you don't even interact. Sometimes people are coming through that door on a Sunday morning and you are in such a place of disorientation and you do feel like your life is held together by a thread. And just gathering together with other Christians and singing, even if no one comes around you, even if no one prays, even if you don't share your heart and you just kind of quietly leave on Sunday morning without exposing yourself because maybe you don't feel like that's something you want to do on Sunday, that's fine. But just being held in the context of worship, that can be a lifeline for people. And when they look around the room, when we see the worship band up here and you see the kids and you see the diversity of just the ages that are in this, that can can be a huge encouragement. Just showing up. I, I come on a Sunday, I leave, well, I don't really think I got anything out of that Sunday. Like it was okay, but it was like kind of like a five out of ten. Okay, but maybe that Sunday wasn't for you. Like you being there wasn't about you. You were going to be there because someone else was going to see you. They were they were going to hear you singing behind them, and the Holy Spirit was going to imbue their voice with a sense of like, yeah, don't give up. You have decided to follow Jesus. Don't turn back. Keep going forward. So do we see Sundays as a strategic opportunity to place strength in other people, even just through our presence, even just to take a moment to shake the hand or, or hug four or five people after the service and say, you know what, I'm really glad to see you today. I'm just, I'm glad you're here. And lastly, Sundays are important because we're building the habit of community together. Community is a habit. It's mysterious mysterious. You can't kind of force it to happen, but there are habits that you can do that help facilitate it. And one of those habits is consistently meeting together. That's why in verse 25, the writer of Hebrews says, do not give up meeting together as some are already in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. One commentator said, by delineating a bad habit that we're not supposed to develop as Christians, neglecting to meet together, Hebrews is also making clear the good habit that we're supposed to cultivate, which is meeting together. And today's temptation to underestimate the importance of weekly assembling is clearly, as evidenced in this text, as old as the church itself. And yet the great irony is that the habit of meeting together with Christ's people to worship him is utterly crucial for the Christian life. And I would add to that, especially when your life is difficult or hard or imperfect and messy. I read through the entire book of Hebrews this week. It's an amazing book, especially if you find yourself walking through suffering. It's written to a group of Jewish believers in Jesus who are facing new challenges as a result of converting and confessing that Jesus is their Lord and their Messiah. And it's clear from the letter, from beginning to end, that some of them have been tempted to walk away from the faith as a result of these consequences. It's costing them financially, it's costing them socially, there are new threats. Are relationally that are in their life because of their commitment to Christ and they're now rethinking their commitment. And I've seen this pattern play out in my own life and in hundreds of people that I've pastored. It's that your willingness to go to Sunday morning when you're in a place of orientation, when things are good and they're lined up and you think you're kind of like crushing this Christian life thing, I've got it, it's awesome, I'm doing good, lots of momentum. I'll show up on Sunday morning, I'll show up with bells and whistles, absolutely encourage people, I got this, boom, boom, fist pumps all over the rest of the 97% of their Christian time when you're not like that and you're in a place of disorientation or reorientation, recalibration, you will be tempted to not show up on Sunday because the lie that will be fed to you that you will feed yourself, that the enemy will put in your ear is that Sunday's for people who kind of have it together or the people who are showing up on Sunday, they have it together or you'll look at them and say, they must have it together. I'm a chaos on the inside. This is embarrassing I just need to stop showing up. You will be tempted to avoid Sundays the most when you are struggling under hardship, when you're stuck in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, in a job situation, in your own faith journey, when you are suffering, when you're feeling ashamed and embarrassed because of failures in your life, to live the way that you are trying to live. In other words, you will be tempted to avoid Sunday gatherings when you actually need them the most. And that's why it's very important to develop the habit, the discipline of just showing up. Now again, I don't mean that in a legalistic sense where it's like no matter what else is happening, you're here, you know, 49 or 50 weeks of the year. I'm just simply saying Sunday shouldn't be A commitment that we're only showing up to when all our ducks are in a row spiritually, and the importance of Sunday is that when we gather, we gather in recognition that on any given Sunday, there's probably only a handful of us who feel like on this particular Sunday, this week, this month, this moment, right now, I've got my spiritual ducks in a row. I am, I'm rocking the Christian life. How many people right now could say that? You feel like, you're not perfect, but like you are rocking it. Like just be honest. You don't have to be embarrassed if you feel like you're in like a really, really good place. Okay, so maybe one or two people. And so we recognize and come into this space realizing that we're not meeting together And we're not coming here and learning and serving and growing together because we've all got it figured out and yeah, there's some little tweaks we need to make. Some of us come here on Sunday morning with wounds and with burdens and with things weighing us down and we come worshiping God but there are what seem like intractable problems that are just on the forefront of our minds and hearts but we're trying to push through it. But it would have been easier just to stay home or to just wait for the sermon to come up on podcast or to listen to it, but not move through the vulnerability of coming into church. And what if someone asks me how I'm doing and I don't have the resources to kind of lie in the moment and be like, oh, good. What if I well up in tears? Or what if I say, this has not been a good week? But that's important. And we need to cultivate that habit so that as we're tempted or as we hear the enemy's voice saying, who do you think you are showing up? to you're, you're gonna show up at church this Sunday, this week. After all that, you're gonna raise your hand in, in the air to Jesus? You're gonna sing loudly and boldly? Please, right? That's the voice of the enemy saying, you have to, in a sense, earn your way into confidence to come into the most holy place. Hebrews' message is the opposite. Because of what Jesus has done, he has cleansed us. You didn't cleanse yourself. Praise God, you didn't have to. That burden was lifted from you. The blood of Christ has purified you and now you can move forward in confidence not based on your righteousness but his righteousness and his gift to you. So you don't come boldly to this table because you're like, I've got this thing figured out. I'm working the system. This is awesome. We come saying, God, thank you that you're working work my life. I see the evidences but God, I come weak. I come hungry. I come desperate. I come scared. I come wounded. I come broken. But it's kind of cool to realize probably in at least one part of our life, we're all coming together like that on Sunday mornings. I think that's a beautiful thing to recognize that we're all sinners being redeemed, saints in Christ. And that process is imperfect, but it's important that we meet together. And when we do meet together, what God does is he helps us do what verse 23 says. Through all these things, gathering together on a Sunday morning and worshiping and singing when we don't feel like singing and sitting under teaching when we don't feel like sitting under teaching and being willing to respond to the Holy Spirit when we're just feeling spiritually blah, The Spirit works in our hearts so that we can hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because he who promises is faithful. So my encouragement to those who are sitting here and hearing my voice, to those who are listening, is that Sundays matter. They really, really do matter. They're not the end all and be all of the Christian life, but they are a powerful context to help us grow in our love for God and our love for each other. Especially when we gather together to share the Lord's Supper together. It's a context of grace, assurance of the forgiveness of our sins, the reminder of our standing in Christ, both now and forever, and that all of that is made possible because of Jesus' grace and mercy, not our own striving and religious performance and spiritual perfectionism. So, what are we doing here on Sunday mornings? We're learning to live a new kind of life together. We're learning to draw near to God together. We're giving and receiving encouragement together. And we're developing the habit of community together. And so, no that what is happening here, what's happening within you is incredibly and deeply important, maybe even more so than you realize. Let's pray. God, as we prepare for communion, as we respond with this worship song, may there be one element of this message that just finds... One little seed that just really takes root in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, would you nurture it? And not just for today, not just as an insightful, oh, that's kind of a neat new thing, but as a real seed of the kingdom which establishes itself and roots itself in our heart. And it begins to grow and um, produce something different in our lives. Holy Spirit, thank you for this opportunity to come together. And as we worship and prepare ourselves for a time of communion, um, may your goodness and your grace and the life that you offer us, um, may our hearts just be filled with gratitude and thanks and humility and response. In Jesus' name, amen.